Hello and welcome to World Shop, the podcast where we build worlds based off the roll of a 20-sided die. I'm Jordan. And I'm Cody. Jordan, what have you been up to this week? Ah, oh, you got me. First, I want to say that for five weeks, we haven't built worlds based off the roll of a 20-sided die, and I kept saying that regardless. Yeah, you remember that time I tried to do an intro and you <laughs> sandbagged me? Remember just, that, Jordan? I just told you no. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. I thought I was doing fine. And you're just like, um, I'll just do the intro. Like, because, oh, 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 okay. Like, I apologize because, like, I know I am a control freak when it comes to things like that. It's like, I try not to be, but I know that it's like, it has to be the Jordan way for, like, the first part or it's not going to work out. You know, Jordan, it's fine. Don't even worry about it. I'm not offended. You are totally offended. Anyways, how have I been doing this week? Um... Again, it's weird that we talk during the week, so now I have a little bit less. But um, I went to see Godzilla, and I know you haven't seen it yet, but I am going to have the Jordan pitch if it's just a great, fun, popcorny action, almost wrestling-esque movie of just monster destruction. I mean, I want to see it. it I, I'm excited. I'm afraid that I'm going to hype it up again. You're going to be like, oh, it was trash. And like, But I really enjoyed it because it was... It was the kind of stupid ridiculousness the Godzilla movies needed to be. Like, Godzilla, the 2014 one, took itself way too seriously. Uh, Now, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you on that one. I liked that Godzilla movie. I liked it it too, but I thought, like, they spent way too much time on the human stuff. And when the the monster stuff wasn't as Godzilla-y as it could have been. It, it was a different movie, but I didn't hate that. I think that, like, well, okay. So. I mean, so I saw it with our friend Anthony, and literally the scene where he pulls the monster's jaw open and, like, breathes laser breath down his throat. Like, we both just threw our arms up and was like, yeah! Like, well, in a packed theater. And I liked that it didn't overstay its welcome on the big monster fights. It kind of, it was... Well, it slow rolled you a little bit, this, but that this was next okay. One does a lot of monster fighting because when man, when Godzilla started Godzilla, it was like, Woo! yes, and seriously, he starts Godzilla and it's just like, finally, like, I've waited so long because all the trailers leading up to Godzilla 2014, you like see him barely in them, and I'm like, if they just do the thing like Cloverfield where you don't see Godzilla until like the last shot, I'm going to be mad. They didn't do Cloverfield, and I was. You know, it was a middle ground, kind of. You know, it it was more modern. It wasn't just, like, a slapstickity Godzilla movie, but it was reserved to me in a good way where... I'm going to okay. say that this one, there's it doesn't hold back in the least bit. It and go, that's fine, too. It goes for, it's, it's just a different It's a ridiculous movie. movie. Like, it goes for it. It really does. And my mom didn't like it. She's like, oh, that's the most ridiculous movie I've ever seen. And my I'm like, parents but didn't mom, like it, it was so good. She's like, no, yeah, it was my like parents this were not and this. It. It's like, it was all this CGI. I'm like, but mom, that's the point. Well, okay. So now I'm curious about this. Did you grow up like obsessed with Godzilla? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, me too. I loved yep. it. And there well, is and the a big difference, is, though. The fact that, like, kind of confused... My mom's going to listen to me, and I apologize. I love you, mom, so much. But the fact that, like, blew my hey, mind Jordan's that she did mom. Jordan's mom, wait. I have something really important what? to tell you. Jordan has a gross snake fetish. Just, you need to know it. I'm deleting It's nasty. You. Oh, my gosh. Anyways, <laughs> but no, the reason that blew my mind that she didn't like it is my mom is the one who got me into Godzilla and sword movies and all that stuff. Like, we went to see... 
Um, God's not the Matthew Broderick one, but Godzilla two thousand in theory. I've never seen that. It's Godzilla good. <laughs> it's, okay, it's, see, I'm not gonna say well, it's so good. It's Godzilla good. But my point is with like kind of the tonal discrepancy, maybe that people are complaining about yeah. is that existed in the old Godzilla movies. They're not just like one thing. If you look at the history of Godzilla movies. Like, the first Godzilla movie is just, like, a metaphor for everyone dying because of atomic bombs. It's not pleasant, you know? And, I mean, yeah, it's a guy in a foam rubber suit jumping around on cardboard boxes, but it's, like, an unstoppable killing machine just rolls across Tokyo. That's the movie, you know? And then, as it kind of progressed and they made more of them, they changed, and it became, like, Godzilla as a pseudo, like an anti-hero almost, and it's like natural disasters. The, and he's then there's the like, savior that stops everything that's worse than him. Yeah, well, and then eventually there's like aliens that can talk to Godzilla. Yeah, and that, they that's have when like it really space that's thing, when it you know? really takes off. But the Godzilla and Mothra movie is weird. Yeah, they a bunch of them are. They get really strange, and that's where I'm like, eh, you know, it's it's fine. It's fine that it's weird. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it being weird. You know, it kind of the same way that I felt about Kong, that movie. I think everyone hated it. I loved um, it. The, oh, wait, did no, you? The Skull Island or the original King Kong? The well, Jack okay, Black King Kong. Not Jack Black King Kong, which I liked that movie too. Uh, which Kong are you complaining about? <laughs> no, I'm not complaining about it. Oh, I liked it. Which Kong are people complaining? Which one are you the mentioning? With, oh my gosh. <laughs> the one with, uh, was it John C. Riley? Yes. Yeah. Like, oh, uh, yeah. Kong Skull Island? That yeah. was fantastic. Yeah, I loved that movie. I, I thought it was really good. Yeah, no, that, okay, if you like that, I think you'll like Godzilla, but, like, that, I really liked Kong Skull Island. Well, it had no right to be as good as it was. Well, and, since when has, uh, is it John C. Riley? is that the right name? Yeah, John C. Riley. Since when has he freaking been a real actor? Like, right? Like, in the like, trailers, I, he's... Sorry, uh, I keep interrupting No, I was just gonna say, and I, I know I've talked about this before on the podcast, I don't care, but in the trailers, they make him seem like an idiot, and then you watch the thing, and it's like, no, he's acting like a downed, like, pilot that's been... Living in the jungle for 20 years. He's, like, actually acting that part. He's, oh, he does such a good job. At it. And I wasn't expect like, I don't usually like his stuff. And then watching Kong Skull Island, I was like, oh, I actually really love you in this. Yeah. He yeah, did such, crazy. he did such a, it was a good movie. It was just a well, really and it's, good movie. The reason I bring it up, it's in, like, the same, like, it's in, oh, it's extended in, universe. It's in the same of? universe. They confirmed yeah. it in this one. Or no cinematic spoilers. universe. They, they, they confirmed it in um, King of the Monsters. Well, and I mean, they kind of did in King Kong because in yeah. Godzilla one, there's like the freaking whatever project, and then Monarch. that shows Monarch Project, and then that shows up in King Kong. So yeah, but so far I've liked all those movies. I mean, like the first Godzilla, I was annoyed they killed Brian Cranston just because he has more on screen charisma than anyone else in the he, movie. <laughs> yeah, no, and the guy, the his son in the movie is not good. <laughs> he's not he's, good at it. He's okay. Brian he's Cranston just, like, just spends ten minutes just. Killing it. Just it's, the it's whole hard. time he's on screen, it's just like, oh my gosh, I want to listen to every word you have to say. He Brian Cranston kills it, and then his son character in it just is like, oh yeah, I gotta get back to my life. Yeah. Oh, I, hey, I, by I the way, be... I'm gonna go and uh stop a bomb and stop Godzilla. Yeah. Military. I, I don't cool. wanna be like disrespectful to veterans, because like it's a oh. horrible thing that people have to deal with, and it's like a huge sacrifice, and I have a lot of respect for people that do that. But in media, the way military people are portrayed is often extremely lazy. Yes. And that's that character, like his character is I'm in the military, and then he just becomes like 
a recruiting video for the Air Force. You know what I mean? Well, and he just, he goes... That's his character. The thing that one of my coworkers always points out is the thing he doesn't like about the movie is that he always has his specialized EOD um, uniform in his size everywhere he goes to each of these different places, which is like, why would they stock that specific <laughs> uniform? It's like, he shouldn't be able to get the same uniform everywhere he goes. <laughs> Well, because he needs to look really good because it's a recruitment video. For, yeah, but the, the, the thing military. is, it's like, I mean, I'm grateful for everything the military does for us. And I have a couple of friends in the military. Great. But, like, yeah, it's that that part, the military part of the Godzilla movie was the most boring stuff. In it. it was just, it's just lazy. You know, it's not like, oh, it's a, he's a bad person because he's in the military. That's no, not no, what no, I mean. No, what no, I mean is what <laughs> you can have a character with, like, depth and personality and have them have an interesting conflict and have them be in the military, but instead he is just like stamp military guy, <laughs> you know. Like yeah. Brian Cranston was interesting. He's like he's kind of crazy, but no one believes him, and he's like and kind of a failure as a parent, crazy. you know. And he seems like he's falling apart at the seams. He's like bumbling and stumbly and manic, and no one trusts him. And and then his son's just like, "Hi, my name's Jeff. I, I do good things. That's it." That's they my whole are thing. hiding something. It's a government conspiracy. He does. He kills it on screen for yeah, every second. Yeah, and, and he's then on they there. kill him way too soon. It's just yeah. way too that that. But was Godzilla was cool in it. Yeah, Godzilla was great, and that's what I mean. Is I liked seeing. Okay, this is something that um, this isn't super original of me, but I loved. Frick Jordan, what's it called? It's the Lock. other kaiju movie. Pacific, Pacific Rim. Rim. Yeah, I loved Pacific Rim. I thought it was a great movie. Guillermo del Toro's amazing. Pacific yes. Rim 2 was garbage. I haven't seen and it yet, and I'm kind of scared, I was, too. Oh, man. It's really sad, because I, I like John Boyega. Yeah, same here. I like John Boyega a lot, but it just... Tragically misused. The more trailers I watch, the more I'm, like, less excited for it, so... What's weird is they're making John Boyega be the old guy in that movie. Yeah, and And then there's younger people, and I'm like, gosh, am I getting older? To me, is John Boyega miscast as the old man? He's miscast as the old man. He's not 50. Why is he the oldest person here? Anyways, it doesn't matter. I digress. In... Uh, Pacific Rim 1, the robots moved slow because they had to. Like, the, even as slow as the robots in Pacific Rim 1 moved, they did, like, people did math on, like, when they're swinging a bus, like, the end of that bus would have, like, broken the sound barrier. It was moving so fast, <laughs> you know? Because it's massive, you know, this huge thing moving. So giant creatures like that, I like when they move really slow yeah, and are kind of cumbersome, but in the way that they're just moving on a scale that we're not used to seeing. It's like we're ants watching a human move. We would move in slow motion to an ant probably. Yeah. Um, Dude. So that was awesome in Godzilla 1 when like Godzilla was moving. It wasn't really Yeah, and really he like quick. steps down and you see like how slow it looks, his foot going down yeah. into the city. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was amazing. I loved that. Like the the way Godzilla moved and how just incredibly gargantuan Godzilla was. I was a fan. I loved it. Dude, I'm, I'm excited. I'm for excited for you to see it. I hope you like it. I hope I didn't just hype it up for you to. No, like you it. definitely didn't. I'm, I'm hoping I get to see it in theaters, but you know, you, re- you really need to go see it in theaters. I enjoyed like it so much. I'd like to. Um. So anyways, that's pretty much what I've been up to. What have you been up to, bud? Jordan, I got one thing. Motorcycles. 
No. Okay, oh. don't even get me started. No, on I'm not going to. Go to your one Jordan, thing. Oh, no, my God. Go to your one thing. No, shut, shut, today. Shut, it was shut, so shut, much shut, fun. Shut, oh, shut, I love motorcycles. Oh, my gosh. See, the thing about old Japanese motorcycles is, Jordan, Just, they're cheap because no one wants go them. Go to your one thing. We don't have time but to waste on motorcycles. you can get them running forever, and it's fun because they're Cody, easy to work on. Cody, so they're a really good Cody, learning stop experience. It. Stop They're not too fast. They're lightweight. Cody. They have a neutral sitting position, Jordan. It's really unique these days because most bikes are sport bikes, which means you're all leaned over or you're sitting. Yes, I understand, Cody. <clears throat> this is not the motorcycle podcast. We could do that later. This is Anyways, <laughs> so this week on CycleCast, the podcast where Cody talks about <laughs> motorcycles anyway. Based off the role of a 20-sided die? I, I can't wait until I start reading my story and I'm any, and I'm like, and then Alexis kicked over the... <laughs> it's like, did she get a motorcycle? Yeah, she <laughs> has a motorcycle She rode off into the sunset. <laughs> She rode off on the cool motorcycle that no one else wants. It's ugly and falling apart. Anyways, no. Okay, I saw, um, I saw Aquaman. Ooh, what? How Aquaman. was it? Good, Ish. bad, ugly? How was it? She is not. Good. I've heard mixed reviews. I've heard some people say it's one of the best DC movies, and then I've heard no. other people, like my mom, say it's one of the dumbest movies she's ever seen. It's and for not. that one, I will side with her, even though I haven't seen it. Well, here's the thing. I'll, I'll give it this. Given the Pantheon, I haven't I haven't seen Shazam yet, and I've heard that Shazam is good. Shazam is good, yes. So, excluding Shazam, which really isn't in the same cinematic universe anymore, because this cinematic universe died. Yeah, um, it burned with Justice making League. a new Batman now. Um, ow, ow, I hurt my lip. And honestly, I'm Anyways. fine with their choice with the new Batman. I'm perfectly fine with that. I, know, I am too. I know a bunch of people too. got upset with it, but like he's actually a good actor, and like yeah, actually everybody I is so tainted by Twilight. He's fine. He's one. I love Twilight, but he's it's, it's, it's like, a guilty pleasure. Even too. not liking Twilight, I think he's fine. Well, no, but he looks like Michael Keaton, and I like that. Yeah. Michael Keaton wasn't an action guy. I think he can, and pull he's my off. favorite Batman. Yeah, yeah, no, I th- I think that'll work really well because he looks like Bruce Wayne. He looks like a billionaire playboy, and that's what Batman should look like. Yes, Batman to me, it's kind of cool when he's like a sleeper. You know, like right now they have like the incredibly huge jacked Batman. Yeah, Jack. Where Batman looks like a linebacker. Which is fine. I, I That's kind of like in some of the comics where Batman's like huge and muscly. Yeah. But I kind of like the Batman where like he seems like a guy. He seems like a soft boy that should be at parties, you I, know, because that's 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 the character he's playing. I is, mean, oh, I'm just if it wasn't a terrible movie, George Clooney would have been OK as Batman. Jordan, if you say that again, <laughs> I will come to your house and slap you to death and we'll never speak nice to each other to again. meet you. Jordan. That movie is so funny. I remember actually Jordan, like, thinking it was a good movie as a kid. On the yeah, Batman bat suit. nipples. <laughs> Anyways, so you saw Aquaman give So thoughts, I saw Aquaman. Please. And here's the problem with Aquaman is Aquaman, I think, is only good as a side character. Yeah. Because do you know how he was kind of a bro-y character? Did you I, see Justice yeah, League? Yeah, I saw Justice League. A, I didn't like Justice League. B, I didn't like him in Justice League. Like, I thought he was one of the worst characters in it. He was like a dude, bro, right? Yes. He was like, Woo-hoo! And I didn't want to like, watch jumping that. jumping out of planes. <laughs> And just, like, stabbing stuff. That was his whole character in this movie. It never went away. Ugh. He just, like, started his dude bro. And there's nothing wrong bro. with dude there's bros, but he else. had no other character other than be like, yeah, I drink beer and I'm cool. It's just like, well, do you have anything? What doesn't make sense is his dad is, like, this lonely old heartbroken lighthouse guy. And that's who he lived with his whole life. I'm like, where did you become a dude bro from? <laughs> Your very reserved father who you love and appreciate? Like, what? Why are you like this? You know, it's just it didn't make any sense. And I also like this is a little bit mean, but it's kind of funny. Is <laughs> like his dad, for some reason in the movie is from like 
Baltimore or like, no, Massachusetts. No, that's not right either. But he's from like the East Coast, like yeah. the Northern East Coast. Yeah, he's a lighthouse keeper. Right, because that's what the comic book said. But they they made him a guy from New Zealand. You know what I mean? Because No, I don't, but keep going. Well, what I mean is like, it's not, I don't know if Pacific Islander is technically the right generalized no, like ethnicity. Native New Zealand people like, you know, like look kind of Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, right? Like that's the nationality that was there before British people just dumped sure, it there. I actually don't know at all. So keep going. Oh, sorry. Okay. So yes. So the character, the guy, um, gosh, what's his name? Um, okay. Hellboy just fell down. Again, this always happens. What's, what's the guy that played? Anyways, that actor is, I don't know if he's like Hawaiian. I think he's, yeah, he's Hawaiian, right? And that's who they cast as Aquaman, which kind of makes sense because, yeah, Jason Momoa is Hawaiian. So it makes sense that they would make him Aquaman because it's like, okay, it's a culture that's very linked to the sea. They have a history of being in the ocean and islands for islands. It's like really important. But in the comics, he's like from the East Coast. So they just like put this old New Zealand man (laughs) just like living in America for some reason. But he has like a New Zealander accent. Yeah. And it's like, what? Why didn't you just have him work at a lighthouse in New Zealand, where he's from? Like, he doesn't have the right accent for where he's living. Is he so actually you need to tell from me. New Zealand? Oh, yeah, he is well, actually from New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy that they got to play his dad is, like, a famous New Zealand actor. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, yeah, I know none of this, dude. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because, like, New Zealand is a film country. Yeah, um, Lord like, of the Rings. Not just because of Lord of the Rings, oh. but, like, a ton of films are filmed in New it's Zealand. It's the Vancouver of the Pacific yeah, Ocean. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Well, and the thing is, New Zealand is a magical looking place. Yes, like, it is. there is a lot of different and interesting geography in New Zealand, and there's also a lot of industry built around film in New Zealand. So, a lot of, like, not, like, leading man actors, kind of how a lot of those guys end up being Canadian, a lot of those people end up being from New Zealand. So, anyways... Why didn't they just set it in New Zealand? Oh, he's Sorry. Jango Fett. Yes, he is Jango Fett. Yes. Oh, okay. I was wondering, like, why does his face look familiar? Because he's Jango Fett. Yeah, because yeah. he's Jango. Okay. Well, he's also Boba Fett. Yeah, well, yeah. And he's also all the clone troopers. Yes. Okay. Stop it. <laughs> I'm just saying it bothered me. Also, the whole movie was stupid and it was way too much CG and it looked hilarious. Well, that's what I'm starting to get is like the way too much CG. For Godzilla, it's fine because like God, that was supposed to be a CG film. But there's well, some... the problem is every face in Aquaman was freaking CG. Oh, a CG Godzilla makes sense, but every time oh, they're the underwater, faces were CG. Well, yeah, because they have to do CG hair and oh, they have yeah, to make have it look the like they're underwater. Hair. Oh. Also, um, main ca- the female main character, her hair was just too red. It changed, too. It freaking changed color throughout the movie. Uh, her hair, like, I saw the trailer, her hair was just way too red. Of Like, well, guys, you could have her be a redhead without being a redhead. Yeah, and you could tell, like, there were parts where it looked like she was wearing a big freaking stupid wig. Yeah. Or it was like they went in afterwards and color corrected her hair to make it look like it was glowing because they wanted her to be a redhead. And then there were other times when, like, she would be wet and they couldn't, like, have her in her stupid color corrected wig. And her hair would look like natural red hair color, you know? which is 
Like, that's fine. I know in the comics her hair is red, but, like, yeah. you don't need it to be red in the movie. You could just be red. You don't have to be yeah, red. It was, <laughs> it was stupid. It was so... And there was, like, good little nuggets, and that's where this is, like, better than Justice League. Anything is, is better there... than Justice Justice League, right. we had such high hopes because the trailers did look really fun, and then we saw the movie, and it's just like, ooh. Honestly, so far, the only surprise I've had is Wonder Woman. Yeah. Like, well, well, for I, me, I Shazam. I, I thought Shazam well, was surprisingly yeah, yeah. good. I thought they did a really good job making Shazam. Yeah. Shalane. Anyways, I've talked long enough about this. No. Aquaman was terrible. I love motorcycles. <laughs> I love how you had to get that in one last time. Jordan, I no one cares. Nobody cares about motorcycles. And it's the worst part about being a motorcycle hey, enthusiast. <laughs> I, I I will call my dad and be like, "Hey, you need to give." Cody you never call. told me what kind of motorcycle I know, he I drives. I know. I forgot to text him when I said I was going to text him. I'm you fine. literally got out your phone. Fine, I'm going to text him. Literally, text I'm him doing it literally right now. Right now, I'm going to start my story if that's all right. Now, okay, so just um do the preamble talk for the story. Just hold on. oh, last time. Oh, wait, on... no, no, no. First of all, this is the last week. This is the end. Yeah, this is the end. Yeah. This is. It blows my mind. We've already done four weeks of this. I, I know, I know, and like I I don't know. I mean, it's always weird to end a story, and that's part of the point of this was to force us to end stories, but it's hard. It's hard to end a story. It's it's really, I like the way that I ended it. I don't know if you are or if anybody else is, but I like the way I ended it, and it was kind of hard to let go. Yeah, I understand. Um, I have a revised title, too, but I'll tell you that at okay. the end. Um, okay, sent the text message to my dad. Okay, so... Here we go. This is oh, so sorry. Last time, last part time three. on Wanderlust. Last time on Wanderlust, um, our main character Alexis was. She wakes up after being attacked by the Kraken. She had been crushed by one of its tentacles and woke up in the swath of the devastation left by this horrible sea creature. She couldn't see. It was like total darkness. Which, if you're ever like out in the middle of nowhere. And there's no lights. Dark is dark. Dark is scary. And if there's cloud cover, you can't see your hand. It's like that dark, right? So she panics, but eventually manages to find... Oh, and finds her broken flashlight. So she broke her light, attacking the Kraken. Or trying to help attack the Kraken. She didn't do much. So eventually, she just starts walking to like clear her mind. She eventually um, can hear the trees rustling in a breeze. She can smell the scent of the storm that is being drugged behind the Kraken. And she uses that to like walk in a consistent direction instead of in circles and eventually finds a river. She follows that river until she meets some goblins that lead her to the, uh, uh, fort of infinite horrors, I believe. Yes, that's it. Um, where she meets the Lord of horrors. This by the way is ribbit. The goblins home. Um, the Lord of Horrors says that he can teach her magic and then drops her down into a dark cave or into like the belly of his fort alone and again in total darkness. She freaks out trying to figure out how to leave and if trying to decide if like this big scary nightmare monster had just killed her in a backhanded way. She eventually finds a piece of rusted metal that reminds her of a pry bar. She has a vivid memory of her dad using a pry bar to move something that seems impossible. And after remembering that, the pry bar begins to glow and she's able to use that to start to crumble the walls around her. Things I want to say about it before you start. It's like I really like 
the way you introduced magic last week. I like where it's going. I have no clue how it, uh, I have an idea of how it's going to end. And I'll tell you what I thought the ending was going to be after you finish. Unless I'm completely right that I just won't say anything and I'll just nod <laughs> and be like, gotcha. But yeah, I really like where your story is going, your characters. And I'm excited to see the finale of the four-parter of Wonderlust. Yep. So this is part four. I would like my flashlight back, please. Oh, now look here. I have been made a fool by a bold little girl that has escaped my trap. I stood next to a ragged and crumbling hole that I had ripped out of the floor. The Lord of Horrors looked down at me. He loomed over me, bending his too large body to face me. I still had the, held the glowing pry bar in my hand. My face was smeared with grime and dust from the crumbling walls and the floor I had destroyed to escape the pit he had just thrown me down. So, girl, do you fancy yourself a master of magic? Why, then you should be able to strike me down. Just look at the power you hold in your hand. Look how you devastated my home. You deserve vengeance on me and the Kraken alike. So take it, child. I raised the pry bar. I could do it. He was smug, and I hated that. I hated when people tested me and planned and talked about me behind my back. He had done the same thing my parents had done. Sat apart from me and schemed and plotted and made little tests. To try to find out what was wrong with me. But before I could strike, I realized something. The object in my hand was not a weapon. Sure, it, it could be, but that's not what it meant to me. It was a pry bar to me, a tool my dad had used to move obstacles, but not to beat monsters to death. Just like the maglite had not been a weapon to me either, but a tool to light my way to a goal. I smiled instead and dropped the pry bar. I bowed. Lord of Horrors, you would never sink so low as to be a thief. Now... I will have my maglite, and I will be on my way. But dear, don't you wish to wound me? To kill me? I did attack you, after all. Oh, did you? No, I thought that was just a fun little thrill line you do for all your guests. (laughs) Getting back up here was no trouble at all. I leaned in close and whispered, Besides, if I thought for a moment you had meant to hurt me, I wouldn't kill you. I would wait for you to forget all about me, and then I would come back in secret. I would use this pry bar to rip the foundations of this castle out of the ground and drown it in the lake beneath us. But, fortunately, we're friends, so no need. The Lord of Horrors grinned. You may not have spent long with old Dev, but you learned well from her. He handed me a small parcel wrapped and tied neatly. A gift from me to you. A show of goodwill. When I reached to take the hand, when I reached to take it, he grabbed my hand. But remember, when you deal with the devil, look him in the eye. Don't blink or he might bite. Aha. Go with the blessing of infinite horrors. I held the parcel in my hands and backed out of the hall, staring the Lord of Horrors in the eye. I did not blink till I was out of the fort and the gates were closed. On the road leading away from the Fort of Infinite Horrors, I found a comfortable stump and I sat down. I opened the box and reached inside and found two main pieces. The handle with the switch and the head of the, and the, head of the magnite. They had been cleaned and shined. Both pieces had been unbent to the point where now the magnite looked like a puzzle that could be fit back together perfectly. 
I held the metal head of the flashlight in my hand that contained the bulb. I closed my eyes and thought. I remembered using the light to shine through my hand in the dark. I remembered the heat of the bulb burning as I giggled and told my parents that my hand was glowing and that I could see inside. I felt magic again as my hand began to glow and burn. The skin on my hand became a translucent orange shell over veins and muscles and bones. A beam of light shone from my hand and I stood up and walked away, now able to see in the deepest darkness. Finding the trail of the Kraken was not hard. The smell alone guided me to the ruin that the Kraken had left as it traveled. I held my glowing hand aloft so that I could see the slime, the slimed and barren path that had been left. I used the light to avoid ruts and uprooted trees as I walked. I remembered the last time I had chased the Kraken. I remembered a massive tentacled arm flying towards me. I remembered thinking there was no way it could reach me. Then I remembered the ground shaking. How had I survived? It was impossible to know, but this time for sure, I was not running on a manic and wild magic. This time I was calm. I walked and watched. I studied the land that had been uprooted by the careless procession of a beast from the sea into the land. The path, the path of the Kraken did not bend for anything. I was forced to walk over tall, smooth hills that even the Kraken should have walked around. Along the way, I did see the ruins of an occasional village. But frequently, it really wouldn't be the entire village, just a portion that lied in the path of the beast. Everywhere I stopped and spoke to goblins and nightcats and every frightening creature I could imagine, they all reported that people had been lost. I did not linger anywhere, I just kept walking. After what could have been days or weeks of walking in the constant gloomy night, <clears throat> I was standing on top of a tall hill and looking down into a valley, and I saw the trail of destruction just end. As if the massive paintbrush had finally been lifted off the land, and now I was just confused. Did the Kraken disappear? Could it fly? As I stared, the ground shifted under my feet and I fell. I scrambled back up and saw a massive eye blinking on the ground. <sighs> like a nightmare inflatable sea monster, the Kraken rose up from where it had been resting. I had not even seen it. It blended perfectly into the trail it had carved. It would be nice to say that I was brave, but in truth, I was terrified. As this massive creature rose up slowly, too big to even be possible, my mind could not think of it as a creature. It had to be a landslide just moving in front of me. But black tentacles and claws made up the kraken as it rose high above. I held my lit hand high in the air and shone the, and shone the light at the kraken. As I did, it made the skin of the kraken translucent like my hand. I could see inside where the light, where the light hit the kraken. The Kraken turned and I could feel the ground shaking as it slowly motioned to face me. I held the broken flashlight handle in my non-glowing hand, and a memory tugged at my mind. It wanted to infuse the handle with magic. The memory was of my dad saying that he could use the flashlight as a club. He could use it to fend off intruders. The handle of the flashlight could be a weapon. One crab claw... One crab claw hand began to wind up and swing towards me. I knew I could strike out and beat away the gargantuan claw with the handle of my dad's maglite. All I had to do was let the memory take hold. But I hesitated. A question rose in my mind again. How would I survive last time? I had been running from the kraken. The ground was shaking. Then I was knocked out. But I should have been crushed. Then a new memory hit me. I remembered old Deb. I remembered the hoodie she gave me. I was still wearing it. 
I remembered how formidable the old woman was, how wise and cranky and calm she could be. As I remembered old Deb, the hoodie began to glow. The ground around me shook and the claw smashed into me again. This time, I did not run. I just waited. Darkness surrounded me, but I didn't get knocked unconscious. Instead, the black claw melted around me. A small bubble of light danced around me and protected me from the Kraken's attack. But I was still absorbed, not crushed, but swallowed by the amoeba-like body of the Kraken. The undulating flesh of the body eventually pushed me into what I could only imagine was a stomach. I dropped down onto a pile of broken trees, brush, and the occasional demolished building. Well, it was dark, but that was the best time to explore. In the dark, everything was a discovery. I shrugged. Getting eaten by a giant sea monster could have gone much worse. My hoodie was no longer glowing, but my hand was still burning orange, so I could see and I could use the light to see by. I still held the broken handle of the flashlight in my other hand and held it up to my lips. Take me to old Deb. Take me to Ribbit. I clicked the button on the handle and magic lights danced away, creating a luminous path to my friends. Made sense. They hadn't been crushed. They'd been eaten. Now all I had to do was find them. I made my way through dark, <laughs> through dark, fleshy, undulating tunnels. I tried really hard not to think about walking around the internal organs of a monster because I would have for sure thrown up. <laughs> I followed the path of light up and up and up, at times having to climb what might as well have been cliff walls. But the internals of the Kraken were soft and finding handholds was not impossible. Eventually, I was led to what I assume was the head or the brain or I don't know, whatever's at the top of a Kraken. It was gross and that's all that mattered. The room I stood in was roughly circular, with a figure standing in the middle. He was holding something in his hand. The man in the center of the room was looking up and screaming. No voice escaped his mouth, but I could see he was in agony. The object clutched in his hand was pulsing with the same rhythm that the Kraken's body was undulating. I shunned my hand around the room. The fleshy walls became translucent when the light hit them. I saw shadows of figures frozen in walls, but I could not tell if old Deb or Ribbit was among them. I'm coming, old Deb! I'll save you! I began to tear at the walls, trying to rip hunks of black slime out. But it was like trying to tear apart Jello. The slime would seal behind my hands as I tore at it. I grew tired and slumped on the floor, leaning against the wall. I just stared at the figure in the center of the room. It was hard looking at his face. It was twisted and distended, like holding the grotesque orb was causing him horrible pain. I looked down at my hoodie and remembered the protection and compassion of friends. It glowed, and lights dance ar danced around my hand. With shimmering magic gloving my hands, I grabbed the orb from the screaming man and yanked it towards me. It broke free from the tendrils, connecting it to the rest of the kraken, and the man began to scream aloud. He looked up at me from the floor. Thank you. I was speechless. I, I just stared. And then I fell. The body of the Kraken began to melt, turned to liquid, and then evaporating. It felt like falling through a bottomless pool, but then, thump, I was on the ground. All around me, I heard groaning and shuffling. I scrambled to my feet, still holding the slimy source of the Kraken. Old Deb! Ribbit! I ran around frantically shouting, Old Deb! Ribbit! All around me, all manner of fantastic creatures were looking around, lost and confused. I was panicking and frantic until I heard a familiar voice. You see, the secret is how you pour the water and... Debbie, these people do not care about how you make the coffee. <laughs> we have been trapped 
in a sea monster slurry for the last week. Just give them the coffee. Hush, Ribbit. Coffee is not just to be drunk without thinking. (laughs) There was a crowd around old Deb who had already built a fire and was passing around coffee. I stood and watched and smiled as old Deb and Ribbit bickered. They passed around coffee and food that old Deb was digging from from her bag. Eventually, the crowd thinned and Old Deb and Ribbit were left alone. I walked up and sat behind, beside them. Okay, I'll admit it, Alexis. I am impressed. You did well, child. Well, she did amazing. You ripped off the soul of a kraken. Oh, yeah, speaking of... Deb rustled in her backpack and produced a large mason jar. Plop that in here and we'll seal it up nice and tight. I dropped the globby black mass into the jar... And old Deb screwed on the lid tight. There was a vacuum sounding pop and she sighed and sat back. I think I would actually like to have a cup of coffee. Well, you better be sure I'm sick of watching you waste good coffee. Pour the hero a cup of coffee, you terrible hag. Boss me around again and I will set you on fire. I smiled and reclined. I could listen to old Deb and Ribbit argue for hours. There was a comfort and pleasant hostility. The clouds left by the kraken cleared, and the sun shone down on the rift left by the beast. Now that the slime had dissolved, plant life was already visible, ready to grow and heal. I looked on the damage and the promise of repair. This was a magical and beautiful place. did not bother me at all that it might be dangerous at times. At the moment, I felt the eager call to wander and see something new. And that is the end of Wanderlust, book one, The Broken Flashlight. So there's going to be more, huh? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it just ha- it's left open for the potential of sequels. Crap. <laughs> well, I mean, so we talked about this kind of off air, but really, I do think we should do some sort of like um, section on the website where we just post stories, whatever we feel like it. No deadlines. Yeah, I mean, I would not mind writing more stuff in this kind of world that I set yeah. up. Um, there's, I don't know, it's hard because it's a short amount of time. And we're not, you know, as much as I want to be like, I don't like world building. There's like world building stuff that is implied throughout the story. Yeah, and that's that, the type of world building that you like. Yeah, so there's like some of that that I would not mind exploring, but there's also some of it that I don't mind being vague about. So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, know. if you like, if you want to continue it, I would definitely read it because I like the story. So, some notes. Um, these are mostly just my thoughts throughout the thing. I don't have any huge critiques. Okay, so the first note was, um, then she strikes him and he dies. Next! Because, <laughs> like, the way he said it, it's like, whack, dead. Okay. <laughs> but I really did like the way that you did the magic and, like, the realization is like, no, this magic that I have in my hand is not a weapon. It's a tool for something else. And I like the way that she kind of solved that issue with, um, the Lord of Horrors rather than being violent or rather than, thre- like, well, she did threaten him, but rather than being, like, a threatening force, she was like, oh, no, 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 we're good. But if I really wanted to mess with you, I would come back and destroy this whole place. And then smiles and walks away. I like the way that she handled it. I like that the magic wasn't just like, oh, and then she used the pride bar to summon lightning and destroy the Lord of Horrors for all of eternity. I, I like the way you wrote around that. Well, and that was like... What you were planning to do from the very beginning? Yeah, well, the tough part is, and this is... You know, you mentioned before, like, the difference of discovery writing versus having a very rigid plan. Mm-hmm. 
there's kind of the issue that realistically the Kraken ended up not being the climax of the story and it probably should have been. Yeah. The climax of the story was her finding that was her learning how to use the crowbar or the pry bar in the dungeon of the. Yeah. Um, and I, I realized whatever. that. So when I like called you out for not doing a climax, so your climax was just not the climax that I was expecting. It was not. The, right. Because I when you, you said climax. And this week was supposed to, well, last week was supposed to be a climax. My climax thought was like at least going to the track, the tracking, the kraken, and like having the power and then resolution of like the battle between the kraken and maybe fighting your friends. But the climax, the part that the turning point of the story was the turning point of the character of Alexis rather than the events in the story. And by that, that has a lot of spirited away vibes. Like there are climaxes that aren't just her like emotions, well, her um, growing as a character, but yeah, your story falls directly in line with that. Well, and and that was like the intent of like the temptation of violence as a solution was something that I wanted to kind of like foreshadow with the Lord of horrors and have her, go like no and figure out a different way and in some ways it's like um the perception of an enemy right so the kraken is this thing that's supposed to be like emblematic of an unknown threat right it's dangerous it's violent it's hurting things so you should go and fight it um but the reason why i like pointed out that it was moving in a straight line and that it wasn't like specifically killing villages. It didn't seek out villages. It would hit half of them and keep going was that it wasn't, it wasn't like exercising will. It was just moving in a straight line and there was stuff in the way and it hit it. And I mean, I don't think you're going to get to it, but I would like you to kind of explore more of the idea of like what created this crack and but continue. Yeah. Well, and that, that is, um, that's part of it that I will acknowledge is more of a discovery thing. And I can, I don't mind like spoiling this cause whatever, like I can talk about the behind the scenes of what my thought of it was. Um, so you see her use magic in a way that's very powerful, right? Mm -hmm. So she had a memory that made this pry bar able to rip apart stone So if, like, memory and intent is what makes magic possible on an object, um, something like the Kraken would be formed by that left to its extremes. Um, So that's why the thing that he was holding was making him in constant agony, like this mystery guy that was holding this, is that it was like being stuck in a feedback loop of whatever anger or thing made this crack and happen. That was supposed to be like it growing on itself. Like you couldn't let go of it at some point. And that was kind of the implication of how magic would work if she had chosen to be violent. So that was kind of like, again, when like the thing was swinging down at her and she had like that moment of going like, okay, well I know I could, use this flashlight as a club because I have a powerful memory of that. Or I could think about how did I survive last time and why? And that gave her like a sense of protection that she had invested in the hoodie that old Deb had given her. So that was kind of like a difference of instead of striking at the Kraken, she was trying to find her friends and defend herself. And then when she grabbed the um, like soul of the Kraken is what I called it. The reason she was able to do that, it was like, her magic there was a memory of compassion and friendship that was protecting her from that thing that she was touching. So that was kind of the intent. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're giving notes and I started talking. No, 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 no. I, 
I like that. I like that a lot. And really, though, like you get me excited to hear more from the story. So actually, the thing is what I said at the beginning is, oh, if this ends the way I think it's going to end, then it's like I won't say anything. It did end whereabouts the way I thought it was going to end. I thought it was going to end with yeah, them I think it was a getting up and going on another adventure. Like, part of me is like, aren't you going to write her back, like, going back to her home? But then I'm like... I thought about yeah, it. Yeah, and I, I could tell that you thought about it, but, like, the thought of, oh, it's like, she just keeps going on adventures. My other thought was her, like, becoming the next old Deb, like, becoming the next adventure who's been there for years and years and years. Yeah, that was... Okay, so when I had originally thought of that... Um, sorry, I just want to go back to my summary or story ideas. Um, so I had actually written an end to this story. So when I make outlines, inevitably, I kind of end up accidentally writing sections of the story. So I wrote the end of... Um, the the end of the story that I thought was going to be the end of the story... Um, so like, I'm going to read this little passage. This is what I thought the end of the story was going to be. So she comes back home and tells her dad of the adventure she had in the forest and gives him back the broken flashlight. And then she gets sent to bed. The next day she gets home from school and there's a box with a note that says, you're still in trouble, not for breaking my flashlight, but for taking it without asking first. Maybe next time, take this one on your next adventure. And she opens the box and finds a smaller mag light that her dad gave her that fits her hand better. Oh, and then the the last line of that was, it's still blindingly light, maybe even more so, but it feels less like a club in her hands. Um, So the idea here was that the flashlight that she brings with her that belonged to her dad was supposed to kind of be, I don't know, I I get all... Well, it's supposed to be symbolic of the way youth relies on your parents for maturity. Mm -hmm. So the reason why everything about the flashlight was memories linked to her parents was that that was supposed to almost be a negative that she couldn't think for herself. So this flashlight was representative of like her dad's wisdom that she was taking with her on this adventure. And every time she used it, it was going to be in a way that he had taught her. So then her getting... This other light that was exclusively hers would mean it was devoid of all those memories of her dad yeah, yeah, yeah. telling her what this was for. And it would leave her free to kind of like learn her own lessons, you know. Uh-huh. So that was what I had originally thought. And I ended up kind of changing that. And it ended up being that like um, powerful memories are just magic in this world. And that like remembering positive things about her family is what gave her strength. Or remembering positive things about her friends is what gave her strength. So it ended up just being a different story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you, you, you changed it up. And I'll definitely tell you how I was going to end my stuff because it's not... There are similarities, but definitely not the, exactly the original way I had planned it. But, um, so notes again. Um, oh, when she talked to the Lord of Horrors, I said, Vengeful Alexis, you go, girl! and then i made the comment of this definitely has a feel of spirited way um i apparently called out you mentioning a night cat i just put night cat and like all exclamation points and stuff and then like because originally my thought was she was gonna go back to her parents but you said like weak like it was weak so i'm like oh weak so is there a time distortion or is she just going to stay in this area is what I was thinking. That's a really good question that I have not decided yet. Hey, it's up to you. You're the writer, man. You choose. Um, and then it was, please don't say old Deb died. And it's like, oh no, she didn't die. She just got Jonah'd. Like eaten by the, yeah, yes. she's got Jonah'd. Yes. 
And then when, like, I saw when the guy had the Kraken orb, I'm like, is she going to carry on the flame of the Kraken? Is she the next Gwen? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that whole, like, the way you wrote it at first, like, sounded like very Dark Souls. It's like, oh, he's been holding the sphere of the Kraken. Now someone else has to take the flame. <laughs> no, it was, yeah, that was not my intent. That, that, I was gonna, I was gonna have the story end with, um, this was another thought that I had as I was writing, and then I just kind of didn't like it. Um, was that they? It was going to end with them like sailing out to sea and dumping that jar in the ocean um, to like get rid of it, um, and it was going to be her ribbit, old Deb, and the Kraken, <laughs> whose name is still the Kraken, but he's just like a guy. <laughs> he's just a dude, but they could just call him the Kraken. That's funny because he doesn't remember his name, so he's just the Kraken. But I was like, nah, I kind of like this better with them or just sitting around. Or he drifts off into the sea and meets a woman named Magda, and then they go on an adventure. See, our stories lead <laughs> into each other. There we go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> if only. Um, but yeah, no, I I did really like the overall story. I liked the adventure. It definitely. Did not end well. Sorry, definitely did not go the way I thought it was going to go. Especially the third part, I definitely didn't think it was going to have this whole separate adventure with the Lord of Horrors. I liked how you opened up the world, and I also liked how you ended with a way to keep creating adventures. Um, part of me does think it would have been a good idea to go back to her parents, but oh well, it's not my story. Yeah. So here's what i wanted to avoid with going back to, huh i said cliches well cliches but also okay so the way these stories are usually structured is right you have a character that has a problem they go to a magic world to solve their problem then come back and, and face their yes, problem and that's what i thought was going to happen but now that you say it's like yeah that's just every story and it's not that i don't like that what i don't like about it is the um is the assumed metaphor that every character in the real world has to have some an analog yes. in this fantastic place. My thought was that this fantastic place is wholly real unto itself and is not necessarily related. It's not a metaphor for her problems. I, like I like that. There's to me an entirely valid desire for a quest and adventure and mystery and discovering the unknown that does not have to be linked to a problem that you are facing in the real world. I didn't want this to be an escape for her where she learns something. I wanted this to be that every person at some point desires an adventure of self-discovery. And that does not have to directly correlate to they then go back home and fix all their problems. They might just like being on this quest of discovery. And that's as much a valid part of their life as going back home. So that was kind of my reason for that. Well... One thing, it's like, that kind of puts in mind, like, oh, she is the next old Deb, or she's the next great adventure in her own story. It doesn't have to be based upon anything else. And then the other thing that I thought, like, with you saying that, kind of reminds me of our conversation last week and how you um, thought or thought or had the idea that I was going to kill off Magda. And I was pretty much saying, it's like, well, no, because I don't want to follow the normal story tropes and i feel like you did that on your in your own ways you kind of broke away from doing the normal hey we go back and we fight the bully or we do whatever and everything like is a reflection of what i just did so i like that this is going to be a continuing adventure of alexis off in this magical world so what was well oh, sorry gone no i was gonna say the the thing to me and I hate this because I we've talked about this before. I have a problem with Neil Gaiman. It's not because of most of his writing. It's just because of American Gods. I got butt hurt. 
Anyways, doesn't matter. Stardust, I haven't read the book, but I saw the movie, and it's like Fantastic. one of my favorite movies. It's such a good movie. And what, <laughs> what I like about it is um, it's the way him going back and having that conflict is portrayed to me is perfect for a coming-of-age story about fighting. Yes. He has a bully at home who wants to marry the girl he likes, and he goes away on this magical adventure, and the normal thing would be that he comes back home, slaps the bully, and marries the girl, right? And he comes back home, and he's just like, you both suck. Yes. Like, what am I still doing here? I'm going to go live an adventure magic life. And marry the wonderful And he just takes off. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, why would I stay here for you? You both are terrible, and I'm better than you. Like, the thing is, he doesn't ever fight his bully. He just doesn't, he just doesn't care. He just isn't phased. Like, his bully's like, I'm going to beat you up. And he's just like, I really want you to try. <laughs> like, go for it. I honestly don't care. <laughs> it's like that level of cool indifference to me is a much better moral to teach people than go back and punch someone in the face. Well, like, don't punch him I mean, in the then face. eventually Rise he above did this. because he became Daredevil. That's what? the same actor of Daredevil. Oh my gosh, that's Daredevil! Yes. <laughs> I didn't put that together. Because yeah, no, I had watched Daredevil first, and then I watched it, I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> um, oh, I knew there was a reason I liked Daredevil so much. I That guy was great. I'm just going to say, like, that is a great recommendation, is just Stardust is such a good movie. If you just want something light and fun, and just to watch, like, straight through, it's a good movie, just for a nice, like, if you're not feeling, if you're feeling down and you just want something light, watch Stardust. It's fantastic. It might be one of my favorite movies. It is like, so every, good. Everything. I forget about it, about and good. then every time I think about it, I'm like, can I think of one bad thing about this movie? No. And I'm like, it's like Princess Bride. Yeah, it's yeah. the same kind of thing as Princess Bride to me. Except at the end of Princess Bride, you know, they do kill count rugan but whatever it, it's it's a very good story mandy patinkin um oh so what gosh, was your Jordan, mandy patinkin so what was your um title change oh it's just wanderlust uh oh. book one the broken flashlight oh okay so that was the creating breath change. of the wild 2 was your title change yeah basically yeah. okay um so are you ready for me to go or do you have any other words i'm excited yeah i'm also excited which i will try my hardest not to speak way too fast and also, this is going to be a really long episode, and I'm fine with that. Whatever. It's fine. I think it's we good. Ha- I don't like, think it's our episodes content. are just now an hour and a half. Just, it's whatever. <laughs> well, don't worry. We'll go back to World Shop, and I'll start making 15-minute worlds Oh, it's going to be fun next week when we do Life is Inorganic. It's like, um, so yeah, Life's Inorganic. Yeah. It's going to be so easy to write that. It's going to be so much easier than this. <laughs> it's writing take... five pages of story is way harder than writing a world. For me, writing the world is going to be way harder because, like, I don't know how to not write a story anymore. I've been writing a story for four weeks now, writing and editing this story and trying to, like, make it in perfection. Like, so I'm hoping that you like my finale, but here I go. So last time on The Legend of Emery, which honestly I'm starting not to like that title, but there we go, The Legend of Emery. Um, last time on it, previously Jonas had destroyed Magda's ship and Samet's ship had shrunk back down to its normal dinghy size. They ended up landing on an island where Magda, using the magic of the breath, created a new ship where they went off to find the Bolt of Elysian and chase down Jonas. On the way, they passed many travelers who had asked, like, oh, where do you get the new ship? And she told us, like, told them that she is now going to find the Bolt of Elysian, stop Jonas, and unite the breath. Um, and everybody went off and told their fellow men, women, 
dogs, children, whatever. So finally, in at the Hydra's domain with the Bolt of Elysion, the magical trident that can control monsters is is placed. They make it through some traps and whatnot, but finally make it to the throne room where the trident is. But unfortunately, Jonas is making his walk up to the trident. Samet, in a last-ditch effort to stop Jonas, jumps down and steps on a panel that awakens the Hydra that's within the bolt. Uh, sorry, within the Hydra's domain. Yeah, you know, whatever. Um, and the Hydra starts destroying the fortress as Jonas runs to get the trident. But right before Jonas grabs the trident, Magda drops down, grabs it, and then runs away. So this starts right when Magda's running from Jonas with the trident. The Legend of Emery, Part 4. Emery. Magda was fast, but Jonas was slowly closing the gap. I was starting to trail behind, unsure how they could move so freely under these conditions. The whole fortress was rumbling so violently that the walls and chunks of ceiling were falling to the ground. Roars erupted from deep within the fortress, making it hard to focus through all of the chaos. Magda continued without losing her speed, and Jonas followed suit. He had completely lost it, screaming unintelligibly as he ran after her. Jonas had clearly never been on the losing side before, and it showed. The wall next to me shook and then started to crumble, revealing the slick black iridescent scales of the Hydra. It was right next to us, a fact that stopped me dead in my tracks, and, and my heart almost jumped through my chest. Another loud roar broke forth, causing the vaulted ceiling to shake, sending broken chunks falling to the ground in front of Magda. They piled up, causing her to slow to a stop. She turned and faced Jonas, knowing that if she tried to climb over the rubble, he would just pull her down and take the trident. Jonas stopped as well, knowing that if he were to approach too quickly, Magda would just skewer him. Bring it, Jonas, Magda said, staring Jonas down, ready to strike should he move. With a sickening smile, he lunged and Magda swung, but he had planned it, dodging the sweep of the trident and grabbing the end. Magda pulled back harshly, but Jonas pulled her in. He put both of his hands on the trident and pulled, but Magda reacted, putting both hands on it as well. It seemed like they were at a standstill. Just give me the trident, Maggie! He growled, straining the wretched from her hands. I would rather die, she said back. Then go ahead and die! Your follower has already killed us both! No, I fully plan on making it out of this one alive, so why don't you just screw off and let the Hydra eat you? He sounds pretty hungry. You worthless slug! He screamed and yanked hard on the trident, but Magda yanked back, pulling him forward again. Nothing you can do can bring me down! I am done feeling lesser because of the things you say! You laughed at my dreams! You've called me useless! You've hurt me! I used to look up to you! Be jealous of you! You had everything! But then I realized something. You were just hiding behind your big ship and your demeaning words. If you really thought I was so worthless, you wouldn't be here, going mad over this trident. You wouldn't have followed me all over the breath. You wouldn't have burned my ship. You, Jonas. You are the weak one, Magda screamed over the roar of the Hydra in the crumbling fortress. You know nothing, Jonas screamed back. It's over, Jonas. You lost this one a long time ago. With this, Magda looked up, her eyes widened, and she gave one last yank on the trident, pulling it free of Jonas's grasp. She backpedaled hard until she fell into the rubble behind her. Jonas looked up as well. Oh? He said, frozen. 
and suddenly a piece of crumbling ceiling crashed to the ground, crushing Jonas below it. Holy! I yelled out in shock. I, I mean, I hated the guy, but that's a hell of a way to go, Magda said in awe, still looking up. The chunk of the ceiling above her was only hanging by a piece of the wall next to her. That was way too close. Um, Magda, we, we have bigger problems, I called out, motioning around us. The Hydra had moved from next to us, presumably off to destroy the rest of the fortress, but now the wall to our right had completely opened up. Got it, she said, scanning the area. We go up! Follow me! Up? I asked, confused by her motives. Shouldn't we go down? There are no exits up there! If we go down, we will just be crushed, she yelled over the noise. If we go up, I can use the trident to stop the Hydra, and we can figure out our escape after that. Did... Do you even know how to use that thing? I called. Well, let's pray to Gwen I do, she said, and she bolted off through the opened wall. I followed her without giving a second thought. I believe she will be able to stop the Hydra, but getting up to the top will be the hard part. We ran, dodging the falling debris, and Magda called out incoming traps along the way. Finally, we made it up to the stairs that spiraled around the fortress, leading to the courtyard up top. At the top, we took a short break to catch our breaths. The ground of the courtyard garden had all but completely caved in. The statue of Alessian had broken into pieces and laid scattered across the pit of rubble. Trees were split and dust from the crumbling fortress lay in a thin layer across the garden. And then we saw it. One hydra head rose on the far side of the fortress and then another. And another, until finally nine horned dragon heads stared us down with vicious red eyes. One giant claw rose and then slammed into the ground below, and then the other. The hydra pushed against the ground in front of it, lifting itself up to its full height. We could see its yellow armored belly, and behind it, its long tail whipped around. The monster bared its dagger-like fangs and let out an ear-piercing roar that knocked me off my feet. Magda was unfazed. She took a deep breath and said, don't worry, Sammy. I can do this, trying to calm me. She left my side and began to walk towards the Hydra as it glared down on her with its glowing red eyes. No, Magda! Wait! I yelled. I was afraid for her life, but she did not falter. Magda continued to walk until she reached the center of the courtyard where the statue of the god Elysian had stood. Without hesitation, she climbed up the statue's platform and faced the monster again. It let out a roar, but still unwavering, Magda thrust the trident into the air. The hydra reeled back and then pushed its heads forward, letting out an even louder roar. But Magda did not move a muscle. She stood there with the trident in the air and stared the hydra down with her one eye against its eighteen. The hydra saw her resolve and glared. Its nine heads moved forward, stopped for a moment, and then moved down, seeming to bow to Magda. The air around us went silent, and Magda let the trident down, resting it against the ground next, next to her. I don't know if you can understand me, she called out loudly. Your years of guarding the bolt were not a waste. I promise you. I will create a breath where all creatures can live in harmony. You have my word. The world had gone completely still. With an almost eerie calm, the malicious look had left the Hydra's eyes. Its central head opened its large mouth and spoke in a deep, cold voice. You are worthy, said the Hydra as it lifted its head back up. It moved its claws back, letting itself gently submerge into the sea. 
It did not take its eyes off of Magda until its heads finally dropped below the courtyard. I ran to catch up with her. She stood there, watching as the Hydra completely submerged into the water and swam away. You did it, Magda! That was... That was terrifying! She said, cutting me off. I thought I was gonna die! That worked! Can you believe that worked? I burst out laughing, and she joined in. But you really did it. You have the ball of Elysion. Now you can build Emery. She turned to me, wrapping one arm around me, and pulled me into a tight hug. I know... I know that I pretty much did all the work, she said with a chuckle. But Sam, I'm glad you were by my side. You were a good teammate. Thanks, Magda. For everything. Let's get out of here, she said. Together, we walked to the edge of the courtyard and looked for a way to make it back to our boats. Jonas's boats had all been destroyed in the wake of the Hydra, but our boats still stood completely intact. We finally found a spot where the stairs were still standing and began to climb down. Magda stopped for a second and looked out at the sun on the horizon. She gasped and put her hand up to her mouth. I turned to see what was wrong and watched as a tear fell from her eye. What? What's wrong? I said, confused. She pointed towards the horizon. They came. They all came. I looked out into the distance and saw them. Hundreds of ships approaching. They were of all colors and sizes. It seemed like the hope that Magda spread to the breath caught on like wildfire. Families, crews of men and women, individuals, and even those traveling with others because they didn't have their own ships were gathered together. Magda spreading the word worked, and the waters of Sable that now flowed brought them into this area. They will later tell us that it was like the breath guided them here. Magda and I took our time making it back to our boats as the others sailed in. When we made it to the bottom, she addressed the crowding company. She gave a speech that inspired them all, told them that she would help create a community for everyone who wanted it and protect them no matter what problems arose. Magda was in her element. She took to leadership like she had been doing it her entire life. After a day of celebration, the still waters began to calm again, so we took the company and moved out to the open ocean to look for a place to set up the city of Emory. Five years later. Ooh, we get an epilogue. Yeah, dude, I love epilogues. <laughs> Magda achieved her dream and was able to change the breath by creating an inclusive community. Hundreds of boats all gathered to be part of Emory, most people agreeing that it was better to work together than alone. Everyone was accepted into Emory, no matter your background, race, or way of life. If you broke the rules, then you were out, but everyone was given an equal chance. Magda was a fair leader. She listened to her people. She soon became known as the Maiden of Emory. When she took charge, things became quite overwhelming because of the large nature of Emory, so she elected advisors to help her, help guide her in making Emory a place for all people. I acted as an advisor for a short period of time, but found that I wasn't quite cut out for the job, so I took the back seat. Magda was right in creating a community where everyone could benefit from each other. This completely changed the way of life in the breath. There were those, like me, whose ships were small because they were lacking confidence and skills. But due to being around Magda and the others of the community, they grew strong and their ships grew as well. The community of Emory spread out far and wide. Magda's ship even grew to be one of the largest ever seen in the breath. In order to manage such a large ship, she assembled a crew of people who did not have their own ships to work for her. The Lady Hope became as much of theirs as it was hers. Many members of the community took on their own crews and sailing became a group effort. 
If you preferred sailing alone, you could do just that, but many people grouped up. Magda's ship became the hub of Imri, and the community still travels from place to place as one entity. Magda did not just sit in the high tower and rule. She was out there working just like any other person. She worked many jobs such as scrubbing the decks, helping bring in fish and other food, repairing ships, and even exploring with small crews. Magda hid the magical map we found on Ketch, saying that it ruined the spirit of exploration. The breath was a wonder that needed open eyes to search it. Without the map, the breath was open to free exploration and discoveries of many new mysteries. On one of the ships of Emery, there was a great library where people would write their own stories and record islands and other treasures they found. These writings became the new histories, the new histories of the breath. I tried to join in and write my own story. But then again, I didn't remember anything from before I met Magda. One of her close advisors and a man who became one of my dear friends, Saul, gave me a journal and told me to write down everything I had experienced in the breath. I think part of him believed that if I wrote enough, I would eventually remember my past. But then again, I still haven't remembered. Part of me began to feel out of place, like this wasn't where I was truly from. It wasn't due to a lack of confidence or doubting voices like before, but something deep inside was calling me elsewhere. Finally, one day, when Magda and I were exploring the library of new histories, the crawling thoughts in the back of my head finally burst forward in the form of a question. Hey, Magda? I asked. Yeah, what's up? She responded. I couldn't tell if there was a look of concern on her face or if I was just reading into things. Have you ever thought that maybe I'm not originally from the breath? I asked. A sad look flashed across her face, but she kept her composure. Yeah, I think about that from time to time, but I don't really know. Do you ever think that there might be something beyond the breath? I asked again. I didn't want to push the issue, but something inside me wanted to know. The end. <laughs> oh, really? I'm, no, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> she thought for a second before answering and then said, Yeah, why wouldn't there be? The map of Ketch didn't look complete. On the edges, it just ended, as if there was something out there left to, left to be explored. Do you think I should go explore it? She thought for even longer this time. She didn't make eye contact. She instead looked down at a book in her hand and then said, Well... Well, Sammy, I'm not going to tell you what to do. It's your story to write, not mine. But she paused and then looked at me with a slight smile. But no, whatever you choose, I support you from the bottom of my heart. I want to say that again because I think I stumbled that. But no, whatever you choose, I support you from the bottom of my heart. After that, we changed subjects and continued through the library. But still, that nagging feeling burned inside of me. Days passed. But I, still, but I was still thinking about it until finally, I made up my mind. I decided to leave and find out what else was out there. With the hopes of finding out who I was and who I was meant to be. My final resting place didn't seem to be Emory. Even after all the adventures, all the fun times, the good times, and even the bad, it was time for me to go. I packed my bags and planned to take off on a day when my ship was towards the outside of the city, making it easier for me to leave. I couldn't bring myself to say bye to Magda, so I thought leaving in the night was better. I was just finishing up packing my ship when I heard footsteps behind me. You know, you were good at many things, Samet, but sneaking was never one of them. Magda's voice rang out behind me, breaking the quiet of the night. I whipped around to look at her. The moonlight highlighted her figure. She was wearing her red and blue captain's jacket and an 
and her ornate eye patch with the flame of Emery painted on it. Her fiery red hair fell past her shoulders and shined brightly in the moonlight. She had the bolt of Alessian strapped to her back. It was clear that she was dressed for a send-off. Magda, I... I started to say but couldn't finish. Don't worry. I get it. I don't want to say bye either. Who in their right mind would want to say goodbye to their best friend? I definitely don't, I said, tears beginning to well up. But... But I, I feel like something out there is calling me. I want to find out who I am. I know. I said I would support you no matter what, she said sincerely. But no, no matter what, you always have a home here in Emory. Thanks, Magda. This isn't goodbye, but it's a see you later, I said, and I meant it. She closed in and wrapped her arms around me in a tight hug. I'll miss you, Samet. Stay safe. I'll miss you too, I said back quietly. We stood there for a while until she let go, took a step back. There were tears in her eyes, but she smiled wide. Now go out there and start your own great adventure. I look forward to your return, and you better have an epic story, she said brightly, her emerald eyes shining with excitement. I climbed aboard the Destiny and said, Don't worry, I promise I will. We waved goodbye, and I pushed off. She stood there waving, and I know she was there until I disappeared from sight. I couldn't help but cry, thinking of thinking of all of the adventures we had together. I would miss her every day, and I knew things wouldn't be quite the same without her, but this was something I needed to do. I've been out here on the open ocean for some time now. Every day I feel like I am closer to my own destiny and my own truth. Who knows what I'll find? It might even be something terrible. But, despite that, I still press forward every day excited for what I will find beyond the breath. That's what Magda taught me. Keep moving forward no matter what. I will never forget her, the beautiful maiden of Emory. The end. I like that end. Okay, I was worried that you wouldn't like it because I did... I I was really worried about splitting them up in the end. Like, I didn't want to split them up, but it's like, this character needs to grow. Magda's story arc ended. Samet needs to have his own story arc. And it's like, I don't know if I'm going to write that story arc. I don't know if I'm going to leave that up in the air, but like... I felt that the characters, they needed to end. Like, he needed to go off. I loved writing the story of them together. I, I liked what I could do with both of them together. Because, like, it's the mentor and the student. But it's more of, like, the of, more of a story of close friends. Who yeah. kind of, their friendship grows throughout it. And they have this huge adventure together. And I like I liked having the conclusion of Magda did finally achieve her goal like my first thought when i like first started writing it like the first when i first had the idea in my head the first thought was she got the trident and the whole the legend of the trident wasn't real and then they they sailed off into the distance as the hydra destroys the domain but i'm like that kind of diminishes her whole journey and it's like i didn't want to diminish like the whole journey of have oh yeah no this thing you've been searching for for your entire life is fake so that's why, like, so then I turned it to it being real, and the whole thing with the Hydra pretty much happened. Like, that, I had that idea since the first chapter, so it's not like I got to this and I'm like, no, changing. It. It's like, no, this changed after I wrote the first chapter. Well, and I think it's fine to have, like, a story where they get a treasure and it actually works. Like, I don't think that's necessarily bad. Even if it's, like, whatever, like, maybe a little bit cliche, but, eh, whatever. Like, I shouldn't say cliche. 
just because something has been done before does not mean it's bad. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's okay. No, but I actually think, okay, so my complaint. Hit me with your notes. Well, um, okay, so I stopped taking notes halfway through just... because I kind of realized, like, eh, it's not really relevant. I just kind of want to talk about the story as a whole. Um, but, okay, so the notes that I do have, um, I think in some way. Both of our stories had the issue where there's a bad guy and a monster or like a conflict in a monster and they don't end up being the same thing. Yeah. Like the Hydra's there, but the Hydra's not a turning point for... No, Jonas was the turning point. Jonas was the... was the, That like conversation was like the... Yes. The thing, right? And that's what I meant it to be the whole time. It's like her facing off with him was supposed to be her like story arc ending and the Hydra was just extra. Right. And I think the, the thing is like if... If I was to critique both of our stories, it would definitely have the thing of, like, why is there a Kraken in your story? Like, duh. Why is there a like, Hydra? I wanted to have an excitement. That's why I Why is there a Hydra? Hydra? Like, nah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was fine. Like, it's it's the same thing where it's, like, it's fun to have an exciting monster. I do want to say you're better at writing descriptions than I am. Really? Yeah, I didn't like, think so. Way better. Your descriptions were way more evocative. Mine suck. So good job. You're better at writing Thank action you. scenes. Well, thank you. That actually means quite a bit. That that makes me really happy. Uh, I think you said iridescent, um, which is good word choice. So, solid word choice. Yeah, and using iridescent. The word iridescent. That's solid. I had a specific snake in mind when I made the Hydra, and it has black iridescent scales. Well, it's the right it's the right word to describe that. Like it it put a picture in my mind of what the Hydra yeah. looked like. Yeah, so it's like good. the black scales, but they're still shining. Yeah, like yeah, no. It's kind of like a I really like thing. that snake. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. My next comment: Screw off, Jordan. Watch your language. Oh, yeah. Screw off. Uh, and then uh, I wrote Jon Snow because you said you know nothing. You I, know nothing! I said Jon Snow. Uh, uh, <laughs> then I wrote, Jonas looks a little rough, but he's going to be fine. He's going to walk it off. <laughs> and, okay, that's one thing that I really wanted to do with them. And it's because I've been, but in more of the readings and more of the watchings of things I have, like, there's been less and less of the dramatic death. And... That's one thing. I didn't want it to be like, oh, we have this huge dramatic death where he lays and dying. He realizes all of his mistakes. I want it to be more realistic. Like, he just gets snuffed out. There's no dramatic monologue when he's dying. There's no, like, big, oh, my gosh. Like, we no, he just, Jonas is gone. I think that's, I think that's fair. Like, because that's death. That's, it's, you're not going to have a dramatic moment in real life where the person, like, gets shot in the chest and has a five-minute monologue. No, yeah. he's just going to die. And that's, I want it. The villain do have that realization of oh no I have lost oh and then whoop gone. <laughs> so uh, she gave. I don't us know if that's a good way or not, but yeah, that was <laughs> that was. This what is I did. this is mean and this is a little bit snide and I'm going to admit that this is petty yep. right here. You ready for it? Yep. She gave a great speech. Trust me, it was great. <laughs> yeah, and that's I was also worried about leaving the speech out, and I even wrote a note in there. It's like if you have room, write the speech. But I was like, eh. I was like I. I didn't think the speech was important. Here's like, here's why I actually think it was okay. Um, Samit is the main character, mm-hmm. not Magda. Magda, yes. yes. Yeah, you so right. my, I don't want to say my problem with the story, but why I think it's good at the end they split up and why I think that was the right choice. This is where I like, some of my critiques that I was going to have don't apply because they split up at the end. I think that's the right choice. Halfway, like, eventually in the chapter, it basically just became, like, a third-person story about Magda. 
Yeah. Um, which is fine. It just means Samet isn't really the main character or the protagonist. He's just kind of along for the ride, which is totally cool. Again, he's kind of Mad Max. Um, Furios is the hero. Mad Max is there for the ride. That isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I do agree that in this case, since the character set up for Samet is not like a Mad Max character who is... Basically, Mad Max is who Mad Max is going to be. Yeah, and Mad he Max doesn't is desires, pretty much a slate for that. Yeah, he doesn't, like, Mad Max doesn't desire to change. He is a point-of-view character who is kind of just crazy, and that's his whole thing. Like, that's it. He doesn't change. He doesn't really develop. He just is kind of nuts and helped out this one time. Samet feels like a character that needs growth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was, I don't want to say lacking, it just wasn't what this story was about, but he's okay. a character that's like begging to have an arc, and he didn't have much of one, which is why I do think it's a good idea to have the, the next time on be Samit goes on his own adventure. I think that's absolutely the right decision to make, because another story where Samit and Magna are together wouldn't be interesting until Samit has become his own person, which he yeah. really hasn't done by the end of this. Okay. Um, I see it. Yeah. So I do think that like a Samet and Magna story could be good in the future after Samet has done his own thing for sure. Yeah. Um, cause he just doesn't feel like his own person yet, which is fine. Cause that really wasn't the point of the story. The story was more about Magna. Um, which yeah, I, I guess yeah. what that means is I liked the end of your story. Cause it felt like it acknowledged that, which is good. Yeah. And I mean, I acknowledge that at the beginning when I've, what's the exact line? Hold on one second. Scroll all the way up to the top after that. Um, where he says, do, 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 he keeps the journal so he doesn't forget the people who helped him get to the point. And the greatest of them was Magda. And like he talks pretty much sets that this is going to be the story of Magda from his yeah. point of view. And that's what I wanted to do is like how Magda affect like changed his life. And I don't know right. if I quite reached that, but I wanted to. Um, I don't know. See that. I don't think you didn't, but it doesn't feel like that was the overall. The climax yeah. of the story was not Samet learning from Magda. It was Magda succeeding at something with Samet as like her support, which is fine. I just. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I get it. Oh, okay. And so then the thing I was wrong about my prediction for the end of the story that I said I was going to say, and then I, I f deleted the document. I, I just thought you were going to, I mean, the term is fridge. I thought you were going to fridge Magda. Oh yeah. Well, you said that last week. Where you thought yeah, I was that, that was all it was. I forgot that that was my prediction, but oh, I thought okay. what was going to happen was he was going to have to go and finish her quest and it was ultimately going to be like hollow. And because... I didn't want to do that because that, I hate that. I hate the whole fridging thing. Like, no, Magda... Magda's Magda, this is her quest, Sam is just along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's fine. I mean, I don't think it's a bad story at all as a result no. of that. It's just what I thought was going to happen was that she was totes dead. She had dead person written all over her. She had a lot of dead. I mean, she did get blown up and have her eye gouged out. Well, and also she was just like way too happy to be alive, you know? There's just like way too much positivity. <laughs> yeah, she yeah, feels she's like a character that an author kills to be edgy, you know what and I mean? The, like the thought, another thing could have happened was that she gets blown up and instead of having that whole happy outlook she's now like much rougher like that happens a lot in shows where like the happy character goes through a terrible experience and now hates the world i like that that didn't happen and i'm i didn't want to write that i wanted her to have this unwavering hope 
And, like, despite all the bad things, like, no, I am going to do this no matter what. And if I fail, then I failed. But I at least I know that I tried from the very beginning. And that's what I wanted to do with her. Yeah, no, I liked that she maintained perspective. Like, she didn't... What made her a likable character was that she maintained perspective on what mm-hmm. she was doing. She Ooh, wasn't, like, blinded by ambition. She, I mean, was, she was ambitious. Blinded by she, a knife. Uh, <laughs> she, like, had a thing that she wanted to do, but it didn't become more important than the things that like she was doing it for a reason and that came through so no, i thought that i thought that was very well done yeah, um it well, just wasn't you. what i was expecting which is not a bad thing at all you know it's just yeah so overall like what what do you think of the story oh i um, liked it i thought it was really good okay. yeah i really well, what would you rate it out of 10 um i don't know pumpkin because pumpkin. 10 out of, t- uh, out of 10 ratings are kind of meaningless <laughs> I know, right? No, but again, I also really like your story, and I would love to hear more from it. Um, with this ending, I have no clue what I want to have on the outside of the breath, and that would be a discovery writing thing. <laughs> yeah, you kind of you kind of backed yourself into a corner that you have the, to like, the follow. The thought through is on that now. like the breath is an actual purgatory, or like it's a lower place, and then there's something like quote unquote better on the other side, I guess. Are you asking me when I no, wrote the no, breath? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm just saying from my own perspective because oh. at this point it's not because you're gonna have a different story. You're not gonna write the same story as me. So no. my idea of what's out there is not gonna be the same as yours. I was thinking the breath is more of like a purgatory or lower place, and like Samet goes to, I guess, some sort of better, quote unquote, better place. But there's problems with that, and he has to like save a kingdom or something. I don't know. See, my, I don't, I don't want to like tell you, you can, no, do whatever. You know, death, the death of the author and all that. Um, I like purgatorial things, um, but I also like purgatory. Um, this is wrapped up in a little bit of my own like theological like beliefs, but um, okay. So purgatory has weight. It's a Catholic thing specifically that has like yeah. dogma associated with it. When I say something purgatorial, I mean the notion of, like, a place of growth and learning and Mm -hmm. uh, trials, which is kind of what I would consider purgatory to be, right? It's not heaven or hell, it's a place of atonement. And that's what my thought is, like, the quote-unquote better places, like, they think that they are better off, that they have learned, they have advanced, whatever, and that the purgatorial place is a place of, that's lower, that's lesser than them, it's like, oh, the people in there are like they're not as good as us and that's that's kind of what i wanted to take it but i i don't know we'll see if i ever go back to it i do want to go back to it because i kind of want to bring them back together because that's my ship salmon and magda (laughs) (laughs) i liked that they didn't end up together yeah and i i didn't want them to end up together and i still don't even though i just said they're my ship like well i I think it could be okay but i think that kind of goes back to salmon and magna can work but right now, Samet does need his own story mm, yeah. that is separate from Magda. But, but I, I, yeah, I didn't want them to get together. I didn't want this to be the story of how this couple started. I want it to be the story of this person achieving their dream and this other person um, going off and, like, figuring out how to be. Figuring out how his confidence, like, growing in himself. Starting with nothing and building into a person is what I wanted to do with it. Yep, I I agree. Um, Oh, but what I was going to say is, like, in, like, looking at, like, fictitious representations of things, like, having hell in purgatory, I am a person that generally is far more fascinated and 
attracted to the concept of purgatory than I am to a traditional concept of heaven, which is why frequently my worlds feel purgatorial. Oh, yeah, a lot of yours do. <laughs> I like that better than the alternative. So that that is kind of why. Well, because you said this on our um, Heaven and Hell episode, that's like you don't like the idea of something being perfect all the time. Yeah. And that like the whole idea of purgatory earth and that because it's always going to be imperfect. Actually, that was our Utopia episode, I think. I, yeah, I don't remember. It was one of those. But yeah, no, good episode. I really enjoyed doing this series, and um, more stories will come, and we'll definitely have to do this again and not anytime soon, because it was a five-week experiment. Yeah, this is a lot harder for me than writing worlds. Like, with worlds, I still do it narratively, but I don't have to, like, write a compelling story necessarily. I just have to, like... You have to write something about the world. (laughs) I don't don't have have to. to, You don't have to have character growth. You don't have to have like rising and falling actions. You just need to write an expositional narrative. I can also just have characters with no like support or reason for them to exist. They're just bananas characters. And look, there's a zany character. Like, how does that fit into the world? Like, shut up, shut up and go and die in a hole. It fits in the world. (laughs) Look, it fits. Yeah, but no, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, and next week we're going to be back on to the world I rolled five weeks ago, where, which was life is inorganic. Yeah. Meaning you can't have pretty much anything. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm, it's going to, it's going to be weird going back to world shop. This is I fun. think it's good though. Like this felt like a nice break. It was different. I feel refreshed and energized. I'm yeah, ready no, to I, do world I'm, shop. I feel good about it. I'm ready to go back to our normal program so yeah it's been good cody so do you have any plugs uh yeah i have one i want to talk about motorcycles real quick um if you want to know why it is that i like motorcycles it's because to me they are very purgatorial anyways what does that (laughs) mean no you don't don't explain it don't explain don't just move on it's a challenge it's hard it requires focus and attention it's imperfect anyways uh check me out at the wandering gamer network We're currently playing a game called Outlaws Wanted. It is a homebrew of... I forgot. It's a homebrew of that one system. Powered by the Apocalypse. That's it. Um, We just finished our first arc in actual playing, but we release episodes very slowly. So we're on like episode three, but you should check them out. I do funny voices. Um, Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah. Also check me out on this podcast called World Shop. And occasionally... I do things on Twitch under the name Crazy Doodler Six. Yeah, and every now and then five people raid his voice chat, and we just talk about something he has no clue about. <laughs> no, it's just really convincing me that I just don't want to read Berserk. I mean, I'm fine with that, dude. I'm fine with that. Look, I'm anyway, just saying violence um, is violent. Ooh. Okay, so you can check me out at something I guess zero zero at twitch.tv. Um, you can also follow us on our Twitter. And you can find us at Spotify, Stitcher, um, Google Play, <laughs> and iTunes. All of those places are viable. Please rate and subscribe and give us feedback. We want to make this show better. In also, any tell way we your can. friends. Yeah, and t- yeah, tell your friends. Like I said last week, just to everybody tell one person about it. And be like, please listen to the show. And then... Then it will catch on like wildfire and will dominate the world. I mean, 
I'm, I'm not going to say the joke I was about to make. Never mind. PG-13 podcast. Thank you. <laughs> now, next week, we're going to start with the R rating. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for tuning in. It was such a fun time to do this experiment. And we'll catch y'all on the flip side. Bye. Have Cody, you said catch bye. you on the flip side before? Yes, say bye. Just say bye. Are you going to cut in me saying bye now? Just say bye. Bye. <laughs>